welcome to another episode of Downton Gabby. This week we are discussing episode four of the final season of Downton Abbey, which was maybe one of the most feminist episodes of the series so far and featured a little eye candy in the return of Mr. Yum Yum. So I think we're going to have some good things to say. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. I'm Shannon in Oakland. And I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. I definitely think this was the most feminist episode of Downton ever. I just rewatched it and the amount of conversations about women climbing ladders, getting the education they need, influencing government. I mean, it's mind blowing. We didn't even have conversations like this on Mad Men. Say what you want about Downton Abbey. It really soars through the Bechdel test. And there are so many women having so many conversations about meaningful issues. It, it doesn't get credit for that, I don't think. Because people think it's a soap opera, but it's true when you really pay attention to an episode, especially like this one. This is happening all over the show with the multitude of female characters. I was just blown away that not only we get the scene with Gwen and them talking about the school and women climbing ladders, but then we also get the scene, you know, about Violet talking about government and hospitals and how the world is changing and it's four women sitting down without a man in the room talking about these big issues where when this show started no woman would be allowed to talk like that uh most tv shows today contemporary (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's not gonna happen so it is very refreshing it was it was refreshing, and partially because, you know, we've made fun of Julian so much for his, like, the times they are changing rhetoric. So it's nice to see people talking about that in a concrete, real way that will affect lives across classes, um, rather than just being, you know, mortified that there's now seltzer in the cocktail bar, you know? <laughs> like, right. Something something really real. And, you know, some some of the class politics and relationships across classes and uh, women speaking their minds on this show can get a little into what doesn't seem like it would be perfectly realistic, quote unquote, for the time. But it's still so important to actually display those stories and show that those things were possible because absolutely like these things were happening in the world. Major change was happening. Women's suffrage in so many different areas, et cetera, et cetera. The show began, the core of season one was about the injustice being Mm -hmm. done to Mary because she was a woman. And she couldn't inherit. And she could not inherit. Yeah. And so to have this be the bookend to that, I feel is really satisfying. Absolutely. And the line that just really stuck out to me both times I watched it was when Isabel says, yeah, I'm a good nurse. Why can't I be a doctor? Mm -hmm. And our mothers fought for that. And we're going to continue fighting for those rights for women because we'll never have to stop fighting (laughs) because they can always be (laughs) taken away. And they just crystallize so many important issues for me as a feminist now and what I've heard my mom talk about. It was really special to me. So thank you, Julian. Yeah. Also, I will have to say there has never been a better example of how absurd it is to change your name when you get married. (laughs) (laughs) It's really awkward. I still have trouble remembering my friends' last names. It's like, why did you have to change your name? You've always been this forever. And it's like, yes, this is absolutely silly. And they just showcased it in such a perfect way. 
I mean, I know in the end it's to please the Crawleys, but still, it's <laughs> stupid to change your name, and it's confusing for all of us. <laughs> I still think they should have to call her Ms. Hughes, because yeah. it's crazy that they were called Mrs. to begin with anyway. Sure. Right, here, sure. here on that. But yeah, I do think it's appalling that, that because they're all having trouble remembering Mrs. Carson, she's not allowed to change it. I know, they didn't actually ask her whether she wanted to change it or not. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine she would. She's been Mrs. Hughes for how many years? She's barely used to the fact that her husband's going to call her Elsie. Like, let's not go too far. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. True. So true. I thought of you, Therese, in this episode because there was kind of two bits about older virgins. You know, Mrs. Hughes. Now she knows the secret of the world or... The- the mystery, the mystery of the world. Um, not that we're implying that you're an older virgin, just because oh, no, me, but well, you're no, the no. virgin expert. No, but some of my best friends are, so. Well, and then Mrs. Patmore, who seems so sad. She knows the mystery of life by now, which is more than I do. Yeah. It's just this throwaway line. I mean, I think a lot of people probably didn't even, you know, really hear it or think about it. But it's this throwaway line that just, like, grabbed at my heart yeah you know mrs patmore who's being left behind even mrs hughes is having sex now yeah girl ain't ain't no such thing as having your life changed by a dick don't worry (laughs) (laughs) that's right i mean you know that mrs hughes and carson had very polite sex i can't even i'm i'm trying to think about it do you think they got completely naked i think they probably kept their tops on do you think he kept his socks on I see, I see Mr. Hughes in his nightshirt. Mm-hmm. I like that you called him Mr. Hughes. That was nice. <laughs> he, for, henceforth, he will be known as Mr. Hughes. Yeah, I love that. Yes. Yeah. I was very touched by, by him going up to look at his bedroom one last time. Yeah. When you think that he spent really his entire adult life in that room, he came as a young man, and that, is, that has been his home, that small bedroom I thought that was a nice touch it always it also kind of reminded me of you know in college after everyone's moving out of the dorms oh yeah someone goes and looks at their dorm room so first of all I totally called it on their seaside honeymoon Mm -hmm. so they went to Scarborough which of course I did a little research and it's on the coast of Yorkshire and it's this really old seaside resort that was founded in the 1600s I can't imagine wanting to go into the water on the coast of Yorkshire, but whatever. Um, (laughs) But anyway, Mike Schultz, one of our Twitter friends, um, tweeted, I'm shocked Carson didn't insist on honeymooning in the dining room. (laughs) Which (laughs) That made me laugh so hard. So, But let's get serious. What girl, young woman didn't imagine losing her virginity near the ocean? I personally thought I was going to lose it in a lighthouse. I was like, that is romance. (laughs) Yep. The crashing waves. Yeah. The phallic building. Yeah. God, it totally is sex. I never thought about that. That's so funny. So I think it's perfect. Well, speaking of people who are doing it or definitely going to do it, how about that flirting at dinner with Mr. Yum Yum and Mary? I felt a bit flushed after that. I want to put my hand on that gear shift. <laughs> that that conversation between them was just like pure sex. Like, we're not talking about cars, are we? Because I don't think we're talking about cars right mm. now. Uh, they're talking no. about a sketching trip is what they're talking about. <laughs> 
no, seriously, it was a it was a pleasure to have um, Henry uh, return to the fold. And Lady Shackleton's nephew, like, how come nobody knows who he is? I would think that being Granny's, you know, dearest friend, they would have known Henry already. But maybe. Well, she said forty people would have to die before he got some title. So <laughs> I think there's a lot of uh, relations on that side. Yeah, I, I could have used a line or two about how he's been living abroad or something. Like, I don't I don't need a lot to hang on to, but there's been so much conversation about the lack of eligible bachelors post-World War One that it's just kind of like somebody would have known that this guy was on the dance card, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's what I was thinking. Like, how did he just appear out of nowhere and nobody's ever talked about him or met him or even known about him? But that's fine. He's here now. I'm not complaining. Well, Granny was concerned that he wasn't rich enough and didn't have enough titles, so... Maybe he was crossed off. I mean, we really can't be too concerned about that at this point, right? But come on, is Mary going to marry him or go on a sketching trip with him? I think she's going to go on a sketching trip. I I don't know. I mean, I can't see him wanting to live at Downton, and I can't imagine her leaving. I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't really see them as like, uh, I don't see him as marriage material necessarily, but... It, I mean, seeing her with, with Henry makes um, Tony Gillingham look like her, Ugh. you know, little nephew or something. Oh, God. I still think he was pretty hot in, in the beginning before he turned into a whiner. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> he such a whiner. whiner. But I think there's been a couple of conversations, and even her conversation with Henry in this episode, that made it clear that sort of her passion and duty in life has become the estate. Yeah. In a way that doesn't seem like, you know, as Shannon said, that's not going to leave a lot of room for a husband because she's not going to want somebody who's going to want to just come in and have her life. Yeah. She's she's not going to be attracted to someone like that. And yet that's the only way anyone would fit into her life. I think what's going to happen, and I know y'all called this, I think there's going to be a bromance with Tom and Henry and Tom's going to go off and be in this car racing life very glamorous and I think we're gonna see who Mary ends up with like on the last episode like he's gonna show up and we're just gonna know and then you just fill in all the blanks yourself I would be perfectly happy for Mary to end this series single true it's just hard to imagine her being content being single but she kind of has been I think that Mary especially who's really never had any problem attracting men I don't think it would I think it would be so clearly her idea to stay single. Especially if she doesn't mind boning down with men every once in a while, which she hasn't minded since season one in the Turk. I mean, I love how everyone else has to remind her she has a son. Like, she never brings up George, but, you know, she is a mother. Oh, the conversation over dinner, like, and and you have a son? I, I do? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do, actually. Yeah, I do have a son. <laughs> she never brings him up. People always, like, tell her, oh, and you have a son. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I would definitely be content with her just having some fun with this guy and ending the series single. But then, you know, I thought the same thing about Peggy Olsen and would I take away that scene with Stan on the finale? Mm. I don't know. You know? That's a good point. You know, you could be a sucker for these things even though (laughs) want to be like, oh, feminist, she can just run everything alone. She don't need no man. And then, you know, if they do it right, I'll be into it. Let's admit it. Well, to to Henry's credit, when she tells him that she's the estate manager, he's as impressed with her and sort of delighted as Bertie was with mm-hmm. Edith. 
So I think we've got two guys here who both think it's absolutely wonderful that these women have actual careers. Well, maybe that's how Julian's saying that these times are a change in. Well, I, I like, I don't know. Again, it's it's hard to see how totally realistic it is, but I think at some point, like, guys must be intrigued by the fact that women can sort of have their own lives and be fascinating to them, right? Like, it must be a relief for it not, for them to have something to talk about besides just whatever's going on in the drawing room. Could you imagine if all you had to talk about was going to the grocery store, cleaning, and, like, household things? Or just, or in the accounts of Downton, someone brought a letter, I read it, I sent a letter. I mean, golly, they must be so excited to have women with careers because it's so much more interesting. Well, even Cora, I think Cora is thrilled when she actually has something to do. She must look back longingly at the war because she actually had a Mm -hmm. job. So even if it was sort of looking at papers and putting down papers and picking up papers, but still... But she was actually organizing something. Yes, right? she was. Yeah, she was. It's amazing she's not a morphine addict. I'm serious. Because I'd be so <laughs> fucking bored. I think the only thing that's saving her is the fact that she and Lord Grantham obviously do it like every night, right? So at Clearly. least they've got that going for him. That's true. Just to get back to Mary for a second, I'm just wondering at, one po- at what point Mary is going to tell Henry how her husband died. Like, there's right. been a lot of car conversation and him saying how he's going to make her like cars and all of this. And, you know, at some point. And then Tom was doing the same thing. And I wanted to be like, hello? Like, are you not going to, like, elbow this guy and be like, let me talk to you in the corner? You're really just going to talk about how maybe you'll start a life of driving cars now, too? But I, I was just floored by the cluelessness. It was really clueless. I I would have been very upset if I were Mary listening to all this talk around me. She doesn't seem to be upset about Matthew's death, though. I mean, we've had a lot of memories of Sybil, which I know we'll get to. It's a very touching scene. But, you know, no one talks about Matthew except for Violet, you know, excuse me, except for Isabel last season. You know, nobody talks about Matthew. He's just kind of forgotten. I think maybe I'm reading into it, but I really, like, felt that, when Lord Grantham's so happy to have Tom back, like for me, I was thinking about Matthew and I was thinking about how, mm. you know, they he lost his first surrogate son and then kind of lost his second surrogate son and he's so happy to have him back. Right. Um, it wasn't explicit, but for me, like I could sort of feel the legacy of Matthew in that exchange. But, you know, Mary doesn't talk about Matthew. Yeah, Mary really doesn't talk about Matthew. That's okay. We just... We do want her to be happy, right? And she's coping in her own way. Yes. And even though it is uh, sad to hear them talk about cars and be so clueless, I do love seeing Edith drive a car whenever they show that. It makes me very happy. Yeah, that's why I tweeted, you know, who needs a man with a tractor when you can drive it yourself? I mean, she's just, (laughs) she is literally taking her life into her own hands and doing what she wants with it. She's going to hire a woman editor. I mean, God. Thank you, Julian. You just gave me the best gift ever. Just end there now before you kill everyone off or something. Also because don't we just desperately want Edith to have like a real girlfriend by the end of this, right? Mm -hmm. It's amazing that none of them have any friends. I mean, I know that you have to hire cast and it costs money for extra actresses and things, but it is kind of amazing that 
they don't talk about any friends at all. No, it's And even weird. when Rose was there, who's like the social butterfly, she didn't have any friends. Like, it's very strange. It's like, who wants to hang out with their family that much? Everybody wants friends. I think it's a budgetary issue. So let's not speak of it again. Yeah, but I did love the whole conversation with her and Mama Roz in the car. And it definitely seemed like Rosamund was hinting at this treasurer as a possible match, which made me think... She's going to really like this agent guy. The whole thing was a little weird. Yeah, it was weird. I I thought it was a setup also. And then she's just like, oh, yeah, he's got a wife. And I'm like, what? Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, it was all confusing. I was also confused about why Rosamond would set Edith up with someone who wasn't like of her class as much as she obviously admires this guy. Yeah, but she's a little bit of a snob about that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, so he's got a wife, so I'm thinking, I hate when that happens. But, you know, Rosamond's got a cool life. I mean, she lives in London at this beautiful place. She has great dresses. She's on the trustee of this women's college. Like, I wish we got to spend more time with her over the series of the show because I like her life. She's the one's life I want. Yeah, I think she's a little lonely, though. I think maybe we could see her have a romance. Let's just hook it, you know, add it to the list of people who get married. (laughs) Who need a romance, yeah. Dr. Clarkson? No. (laughs) You need to stop trying to make Dr. Clarkson happen with anyone. I know. know. He's kind of a silver fox. I don't know Uh, what you guys have against him. Oh, my. You are so wrong. No, no. He looks like the Monopoly guy. (laughs) It's kind of true. Oh, man. Um, who else was offended when Mary called Rosamond's dress shabby? Yeah. I was like, do not speak about Rosamond's wardrobe that way. Oh, she was just fishing for a compliment. Yeah, I think she was having him look at her body. Yeah, she was just like, oh, dear me, this old thing, you know? (laughs) But yes, it was awesome having Gwen come back. I thought, I was actually a really smart character to bring back. Because the whole Sybil storyline to bring back was really special and it was almost like did Julian plan this I doubt it but he was smart to bring her back well I I have a couple issues with it and then I'll I'll tell you how much I loved it but first issues first of all we have four more episodes left of the show do we really want to spend that much time with a character that has nothing to do with the current storyline and secondly Hmm. Was she just there to make people feel bad about not being enough like Sybil and have a what would Sybil do moment that got Mr. Mason his farm? I think it's hard to bring up a character who's died on the show in a way that isn't totally sad or forced. And I think this was a really smart way to honor this character that was important to everyone in that room and was a big part of the show. I really liked Gwen coming back. Don't get me wrong. I loved every moment of it and every little bit of intrigue and the whole rise from maid to local politician. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, I, the, whole, the whole thing was amazing. Amazing, but it just, um, I don't know. It was just sort of an interesting choice, I guess, to do it that way. Brandy, what did you think? We're, 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 we're one for one. I loved it. <laughs> Therese has issues. So what did you think? I think when you're in the final season of a show like this, it, you can go a little overboard with the sort of parade of familiar faces and that they hopefully will be cautious with that. 
But I've, I've actually been bothered sometimes by the lack of mention of Sybil. Yeah, me too. Um, in a way that doesn't bother me with Matthew because he was a little bit of uh, a new part of their lives who was only there for a short time, right? Right. But Sybil was the third Crawley sister. And the way they sort of don't talk about her unless Tom brings her up, I don't know. It, I I feel like she would be mentioned all the time in reality in a, in a situation mm-hmm. like that. And also just, you know, that's still probably the most upset I have ever been over a TV character's death ever. Yeah, it was an amazing episode. It's probably the best episode ever written of this show. So I, I loved seeing her honored that way and it felt... Touching. I had a tear in my eye for sure. Yeah, it was. No, I'm okay. So I'm going to take off my critical hat now and say that I really, I really love the whole scene. And I loved Mary's face when they talked about Sybil. I mean, I, I was completely gutted. Yeah. Looking mm-hmm. at Mary's reaction to it. And I was also really delighted at the Crawleys in general who were just so happy to see Gwen who used to work there they were all like really you worked here that's that's fabulous you know (laughs) I mean I know it's like they've never looked her in the face so they would never recognize her and to Mary's credit she's the only one who recognized her Mm -hmm. actually she 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 talks with the maids probably more than anyone Um, but you know and Edith I really feel like Edith is living Sybil's legacy and I hope someone says that at some point because she has so much of Sybil's spirit of creating her own path well i don't know if she has Sybil's spirit of helping everybody around her though <laughs> it would be nice to see a little bit more of that a little right. less like self-pity and i'm not sure what to do and a little more spreading the love she's gonna hire this female she's gonna hire this female editor that's yeah. huge yeah that's, yeah that's, that's why i'm hopeful yeah i'm hopeful too but generally it was really nice and and like of course Thomas is an absolute bitch about the whole thing, as usual. Oh. I don't know like, what they're trying to accomplish. I really don't know. I really did enjoy his conversation with Baxter. And they've kind of flirted at this idea of them being friends. And I would really love to see that because Baxter always feels a little bit like an outsider, too. Um, so I like that scene. But other than that, I'm just, I don't, I'm just angry for this actor that this is all he gets to do. In the final season. Um, and I, but I do think that it was summed up pretty nicely with Baxter's line, like, you're your own worst enemy, right? Yeah. I mean, that mm-hmm. is, he cannot resist acting like this. And honestly, he's been through so much BS and people treating him shitty in the last few episodes that I'm not surprised he's lashing out at someone who is only going to be there temporarily and can't come back at him. Like, right. he must feel so powerless. Yeah, he's just super angry. So it was a shitty thing to do, but I understand why he would want to, like, take one moment to have some power over somebody. I'm actually, I'm surprised that um, Thomas and Daisy were both, they both seemed kind of angry at Gwen's success. Mm-hmm. And for me, I thought it showed the the sort of new fluidity of of the classes, that, you know, this was something really new, that you really could change your situation there was possibility of doing it you just had to you know go out and do it right I mean they've been stuck downstairs in the dark for most of their lives I mean just think Mm -hmm. about that work environment it was just a season ago that Daisy wanted to move to London 
and experience the larger world, remember? And then she decided yeah, not to I do it. Yeah, I was going to say, like, she, you know, she is getting educated, yes, but she could also still go off and be one of the first female chefs, right? Like, that was a, an idea that seemed like a real idea when Alfred was right um, going down his path. Uh, I'm not sure why she seems to think that her options are being more limited now when, in fact, she seems to be opening up more. Yeah, she needs to take a chance. She needs to take a chance and stop yelling at everyone else. She needs to take control of her life and apply for a different job or and yeah, move to London. And she's got nothing but support from everyone around her, from Mr. Mason, Mrs. Patmore, Mosley, from freaking Cora, you know, like... There's no one is putting any obstacle in her path that wasn't already there just by virtue of not being rich. So I don't understand why she's so angry either. It's, it's, I guess it's just sort of, you know, the college freshman poli sci thing, but yeah, (laughs) she needs to just, she needs to just actually do something for herself instead of bitching all the time. It's making me not like her character. I mean, she was acting like such a little baby about, I'm going to go yell at Cora. I mean, it's just, you know, and everyone's trying to stop her and look out for her. And it's just like, you need to channel that anger somewhere else and get out of this house. You know? I was just thinking, like, circa season two, would I have ever been like, oh, by the end of this, Mosley is going to be the number one voice of reason. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I have a lot to say about what he was saying to Baxter, but sure, in this situation, (laughs) yes. But I also was thinking, Daisy, did you not learn anything from episode one? Like, why are you flying off the handle yet again? Do you really think it's going to end well? Right. Well, these characters in Down are nothing if not consistent in their flaws. So, <laughs> very That's true. true. Did you guys notice any kind of sort of moment be- between her and Andy? Oh, For yeah. Sure. I saw some heavy eye flirting. Like, I want to be a country boy. I want to make your jam. Yeah, I want to make artisanal jams with you. Let's go for a roll in the hay. I'm going to churn your butter all night long. <laughs> That's not how I would have put it, but yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, you don't know how to flirt in country terms, but I can teach you, Trace. <laughs> I've always been a city girl, it's true. Andy is the number one most useless character of all time. I mean, he makes <laughs> Ivy look like she should have won an Emmy. What is he even doing there? All he ever does is just get up from the table and leave. (laughs) He does often have to get up. When he's going to go work on the cottage and they won't let Thomas go and Mosley's like, he must have something to think over. Like, what a lame reason. I'm sure. He's really got something to think over. He's really got to think it over. So, so why is, why is Andy here? Because I think he's going to, I think he's going to end up with Daisy. You think? He needs to speak some actual words of personality before that. I really think he's only there as a torture device for Thomas. But Thomas really only wants to be friends. (laughs) (laughs) Brady, I think you're Thomas's number one fan. I feel so bad for him. I know. I just want to hug him. I know. He needs an emotional arc somewhere, somehow, because we've sort of been in the same place for a long time now. Yeah, it's been like seasons of since O'Brien oh, left, really. Speaking of Daisy and the farm, can we just take a moment and think about the Drews, who are probably wandering the Yorkshire countryside right now with three little children? Who's taking care of the pigs right now? 
Yeah, there's no pig man for crying out loud. Well, maybe that's going to be Andy's new job when he moves there with Daisy and they're making their seasonal jams. Thir- 13 bucks a jar. They invent bacon jam. Oh, they invent bacon jam. There you go. I just I just feel bad for the Drews. I cannot stop feeling bad for the I Drews. I know. It's horrible. I really feel like... Maybe Julian didn't realize how much that would linger, but I thought about them too, and I feel really bad for them. You guys need to get over it. It's as if they never existed now. This is one of those storylines where they're just gone. That's it. Okay, Mary, we can't forget the lower class sometimes. (laughs) All right, fine, fine, fine. Speaking of people I wish would be dust in the wind, what the fuck is Sergeant Willis doing there again? I'm telling you, Julian is trolling me. What is happening? So he's there now to talk to Baxter and bring back, I guess, our number one storyline we really wanted from last season, guys, right? We really wanted more about Baxter's criminal history. We've been clamoring. Although, I I have a theory that Sergeant Willis is now committing crimes just so he can come to Downton. He's killing prostitutes? I don't... (laughs) Because really, when he told her that she's basically one step away from being a dead prostitute, I was like, oh my God. Uh, Julian, that's a pretty big misstep. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Please. Okay, but I have a theory, a real theory about Baxter. I've watched this twice now, and I think that this guy raped her. Hmm. I do. Raped because her she or was saying. Her? Uh, no, I think he raped her because she kept saying. He's like, well, he can't hurt you now. He's like, oh, can't he? And she's like, he's the most evil person. And the way she talks about it, it feels like an abuse. Like a very abusive thing she went through. It, watch it again. Watch it again. And Why think about that. Why would she have taken the fall for the jewels then? Unless there's like a whole other element, like someone else she was protecting. I think she doesn't want to testify because she can't see him. I think whatever he did to her is such a trauma like an emotional trauma, the way she talks about it and the way she looks in those scenes, it's not about the stealing the jewels. He did something horrible to her. But she still went to prison for that, you know? Why would she have... Well, why do abuse victims stay with their abusers? I mean, watch it again. Yeah. I'm serious. It is... And Mosley is just so out of line. That whole storyline just bugged the shit out of me that he knows what's right for her goes behind her back and talks to her boss. Who can't even turn around her whole body to face him, only her head. <laughs> yeah. I did notice the perching. Right? I'm not making this stuff up. She does not turn her body towards servants, only her head. You know, Shannon, I, I don't agree with you. I think that he was a guy who made all kinds of promises to her, seduced her, Certainly they had sex based on all kinds of false promises. And then when he ran off and left her holding the bag and heartbroken and betrayed, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big deal right there already. But when he says, but he can't hurt you now. And she goes, Oh, can't he? I mean, that's like linger term. And the other two women became prostitutes. A lot of women that become prostitutes are victims of sexual abuse. I'm telling you, I think that there is a huge abuse storyline with this. I wonder if there's something else that we don't know, though. Like, maybe when she went to prison, she was, like, pregnant with a baby she had to give up or something. Or 
maybe, you know, he literally can find her and hurt her if she makes herself known because they don't know where, like, like if this guy's going to get off of the crimes again, right? Well, and that's so, why she went to Downton was to get away. And that's why I think it's so fucked up that a man is telling her, two men are trying to tell her what to do when we don't know the full story. But I think it is way more than stealing jewels. I assume we will learn more. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it involves sex and it involves the ideas of the time that a woman who has sex out of wedlock, whose, you know, man abandons her, is is officially ruined, quote unquote. Well, let's end on a happy note because I know we're all just so invested in Anna's fetus. Well, I did love when I was like, now we know that the rat fetus loves to eat pies. And then, Brandy, you were like, uh-oh, you know what Bates does to pies. Eat pies and stuff. <laughs> you were both completely <laughs> terrible. I really enjoyed the great obstetric caper of 1925. I think that the whole Mary with the, I have to go do this and I can't tell you why, but if you knew, <laughs> you, you would agree with me, ploy that always seems to work. I would love, if there's someone out there who's, like, re-watching the series and wants to make a super cut of all of the, mm. you wouldn't believe me, but you would be with me if you knew scenes through these seasons. Because it's been, like, every other episode for the entire run of the series. They always fought for it. I, I don't even understand. Anyway, that was great. And then did you see that Anna got in the back of the car with Mary, which is such a faux pas? Oh. oh, I didn't even notice. I, They're yeah. besties. Well, she was going to get in the car first, which is also a faux pas. And then luckily Mary came out at that moment and she recovered. But then I think she got in the back with her. Maybe she's just worried that baby was going to drop out at any minute. Well, I mean, I understand it. It's just like Bates would have to be like majorly suspicious. Oh, I I put five pounds on twins. I put in another five pounds on Mary being their godmother. Oh, it's going to be very touching oh, yeah. at the end, I think. You know, the Anna-Mary relationship is one of my favorite things. This yeah. is true. I mean, she's so much more compelling, Anna is, in this friendship than she is in her romance with Bates. So oh. it, has, it has actually been really nice, as silly as the sort of, you know, very, very vague obstetric explanations are it's I, I don't know women coming to each other's rescue it's nice well and then you know she takes Anna saves her baby goes on a date you know it's just like she does it all in London you gotta love Mary she's I know she's so fabulous 12 hours in London and she's saved a life and I fucked a dude and just <laughs> borrowed a dress and <laughs> Looks better in it than the owner. You know, I mean, that's why we love Mary, you know? Yeah, she's got style, that woman. She really does. All right, well, we have been derelict and we've forgotten our segment, One Fabulous Thing. So we're bringing it back from the dead. I had some requests to bring it back. Um, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> we just had been so caught up in the final season. Yeah, so um, well, I'll go first. Um, I just went to a great double feature yesterday at the Alamo Draft House in San Francisco of an awesome Lady Samurai film called Lady Snowblood. It's on Hulu right now in the Criterion Collection. It is the most amazing feminist revenge story ever. 
Like, you're just feeling pissed about rape culture and patriarchy. Just put on Lady Snowblood where there's these groups of men calling her a bitch or a slut and trying to rape her, and she just cuts them down. (laughs) She is so fierce. Her mom is so fierce. It is so brazenly feminist in ways I have never seen an American film. And it is so fun. I mean, it's like kind of goofy splatterings of blood. You know, it's gory in that kind of silly way. But Lady Snowblood, holy shit. We all should be more like Lady Snowblood. So do you think Quentin Tarantino was inspired by that when he did Kill Bill? Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. He stole I mean, it is... And it's such a great story of revenge and karma because she's avenging her mother. And the mother's story is also very interesting, but I won't say too much. Okay. I watched the first episode of the X-Files limited series that started last night. And I was a rabid X-Files fan in the 90s. I even dressed like Agent Scully for Halloween once. And... um, I don't know what to say about the show, to be perfectly honest with you, having seen one episode so far, but Gillian Anderson is a goddess. Yes. Oh, yeah. She's a goddess. That's it. I mean, her acting is amazing. Her face is amazing. Mm-hmm. Everything about her is amazing. I mean, the, the amount that she's grown as an actress since, you know, she was, she was the original in the 90s is staggering to me she's just so good yeah she's one of those people that gets better looking with age she's like a julia louise dreyfus where it's like how do you look even better now but you she she looks great but she also she just is so poised and self-possessed and in such total control yeah it's just a pleasure to watch and she gives no fucks about (laughs) talking about feminist shit in the media like she's always like Nope, don't really care about men. Uh, yep, they tried to pay me half as much as David Duchovny, and I said, fuck you. Like, <laughs> exactly. she is amazing. Exactly. I mean, that, I was just going to say that, 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 you know, when it came out that she was initially offered half of David Duchovny's salary. <laughs> and that's why that conversation with Gwen coming back at the table was so important. We're still fighting for this shit. <laughs> we still need those fucking ladders. We we are. So, um, Jillian Anderson, a fabulous thing. I uh, want to give a shout-out to a new show I'm enjoying a lot, which is Supergirl on CBS, which I know neither of you guys are watching. But it is really fun um, and has multiple impressive female characters, not just Supergirl herself, who is ridiculously charming um melissa benoist i i don't actually know how to pronounce her last name she is fantastic uh her boss cat grant played by calista flockhart like starts out seeming like she's gonna be the you know total stereotype of a bitch on wheels miranda from uh devil wears prada kind of a character but has grown in really interesting ways over only i think like eight or nine episodes so far um, and then her Supergirl's adoptive sister is a super badass secret agent. And there's just like, you know, Jimmy Olsen is a hot black man now. Like, I can't say enough good things about how fucking fun this show is. So that's really just, if you were curious at all about whether this show is worth your time, if you like 
genuine fun superhero stuff not just like the dark gritty side of things this show is about as good as i could have hoped it would be thank you for listening to another episode of downton gabby you can find us on facebook twitter or tumblr by searching downton gabby and please join us for both east coast and west coast live tweeting while the episodes are airing on sunday nights and we will catch you next week thanks for listening Bye. Bye. Confidence is a must. Cockiness is a plus. Edginess is a rush. Edges I like a rough. A man with a Midas touch. Intoxicate me. I'm a lush. Stop, you're making me blush. People are looking at us.